Hey, what's going on? Happy Monday. Welcome to another week of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Of course, I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Thomas Trans, Canucks Insider, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Uh, we're live at Rogers Arena and, of course, also coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net and get your thoughts in 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, quiet weekend for the Canucks, obviously the game on Friday night. Quite weekend in terms of the schedule, I should say. The game on Friday night, nothing Saturday or Sunday. Back in action to start a big week here against the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, It was loud off the ice. Exactly. It As is loud. always the case. Quiet on the ice, loud in terms of the conversation, the discussion, the rumors, the reports, everything else going on around this team remained loud over the weekend. Yeah, so I had a quiet weekend myself. I you know, had been grinding away on the road, so I took Friday night off, left that to Harmon Dial there you go. of The Athletic to, to cover it for our outlet, and then figured by, by doing that and sending him to the practices on Saturday, Sunday, I could just lay off, take it easy, catch back up with my wife and my dog, which was great. Uh, I watched the game, the the Kings game on Saturday, having watched Wakanda forever. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Uh, which I liked, by the way. All right. And, uh, and so I didn't think the Canucks played that well. I think it was easily their best game of the season. I, I think there's easily. no chance. I think the Pittsburgh you game have was way better. Way better. Yeah. And I think the Philly game was better. No, no, absolutely, it was. No, we're never going to agree. I thought, on the I thought they game. had a couple. The game wasn't better. They had a couple deflections. Uh, I thought you know, L.A. hit the post twice in the third period. I thought L.A. had the run of play at five on five. I thought the Canucks were outplayed, and were opportunistic and got the goaltending they haven't been getting. That's it. I think that. It was far from perfect because they haven't had a lot of good games this year, right? So let's keep that in mind first of all. When I say it was yeah, the best game of the there's, season. There's two other contenders. <laughs> We're jumping over a low bar. And one of them was a loss. But even, you know, you look at the, the underlying numbers, the fancy stats at the end of the game, and they're tilted in L.A.'s favor. But I think that overstates how dangerous L.A. was. And a lot of that is when the score is 4-1. But so, like, yeah, mean, you gave they, up some good chances in the third it's period. It's easy to say that when they miss a couple shots that would have been absolute tap-ins in the first period and then hit the post twice in the third. When the bounces go your way, it's easy to say, oh, they didn't look that dangerous. Like, they didn't. LA's, yeah, LA's, I didn't think they did, though. LA's got some east-west issues in terms of the way that they produce offense, no question. But I also thought the Canucks got the bounces, especially Thatcher Demko got the bounces that he hasn't enjoyed. Right? Just like the Ottawa game should have been like 4-1 after the first 30 minutes. Right? That was that, that That's what it felt like to me, to be totally honest with you, except that the Canucks didn't trail at any point. So it didn't feel that bad. But I thought on form, it was another one where, you know, we know what the logic of this Canucks team is. Like, to me, Friday was a reminder as well where of, like, what this team can do in terms of outperforming middling five-on-five -five play, right? Yes. The power play is incredible. They do have an edge in net. They'll have an edge in net tonight, assuming Logan Thompson starts, right? They're going to have an edge, a really big one if Aiden Hill starts. Like, they're going to have the edge in net against Colorado. When they go to Denver on Wednesday, and then against the the Vegas Vegas like the next four games, they're gonna every game this team plays, they should have an edge in net. They haven't to this point, but they will. The power play is a, a legitimate fastball, right? This team comes out of the bullpen with their power play throwing 99 miles per hour. I mean, it's it's a really big weapon for this team, a game breaking weapon. We saw proof of concept of the fact that like this team should win more mm -hmm. over the balance than than what they have, except that. 
you know, that's the logic if they're five on five games, like, okay. And it hasn't been. It hasn't been there. It hasn't been to this point. That is the first. It's been worse than that, and I thought that was also on display on Friday night. That was probably the first game where they looked like the team I expected to see on a somewhat consistent basis this year, which goes to the goaltending point, the ability to capitalize on their chances, the power play, all of that. Now, they still didn't generate enough offensively for me. And I think the top line was particularly at fault for that. That's the biggest critique for me. It's not what L.A. was able to do against them, because, again, I think the numbers kind of overstated what L.A. was able to do. And I will say, even in the third period... I really don't think they did. They were. Even in the third period, I didn't think, like... I didn't think it was, like, overwhelming pressure from L.A. My view of the game was far closer to the underlying numbers than the feedback I was seeing from the game, you know, when I, like, got home and checked into it. You know, like, I looked into it. I was like, wow, the Canucks must have played really well. And then I looked at the underlying numbers. I was like, oh, okay, maybe this was a classic Kings, you know, north-south don't generate much game. And then I looked at the – and then I watched it. And to my eyes, I was like, oh, boy, I think the Canucks were outplayed. I thought the Canucks were outplayed. So – Anyway, that's the funny thing about perception. We'll see who's right over the long haul, right? Uh, Point is, you can see the seams of this team being absolutely the pretender in the Bedard sweepstakes. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly, right? Right? That, that to me, looked like a team that, if they play like that all year. It's a 90-point true talent team, at least. You're in the playoff mix all year. All year. And that's what I was expecting from the team. That's what I was expecting. And again, it's far from perfect. That's what I was expecting. But if that's your kind of baseline performance, you're able to do that. And I thought, you know, they. I, that, to me, that was like the fastest game they've played all year. They looked faster than they have in a lot of other games. And that we know that's something the team struggles with. So that's not going to be there every night. But we haven't seen it at all, barely, until yeah. that game on Friday against LA, right? So then, so then we, you know, here's the here's my overarching concern. I guess is like. At the end of the day, if you're reliant on your goaltending and your power play, the way that this team is, the way that this team was last year, and one of the reasons that I sort of was picking against them going into this season, mm-hmm. and and will continue to, even though I think they're better than you know a bottom seven team in the league, right? Like I expect the Canucks to win more than they have to this point, but I still don't think they're good enough. And you know what? To be honest with you, I didn't think they'd be good enough that they were limping along at a 95-point pace, right? Like, if they yeah. were close to the playoff mix but playing like this, I, my, my tune wouldn't be a lot different. Even if they had five more points in the standings, I'd maybe just have to be a little bit more polite about it <laughs> so that we didn't get, you know, so the fire didn't leap off my computer screen from the Dunbar Lumber <laughs> 650-650 inbox. So, you know, for all of that, when you're, when you're feeble five-on-five, five, you're playing with an arm tied behind your back. You're not stacking the deck in your favor. And in this league, where every team is limited in terms of the amount of payroll they can put on the ice, like every minor edge matters. You cannot afford to have a single limb tied behind your back. And this team does. This team fundamentally does, unless they can figure out how to control uh, play a lot better five on five. I also, you know, the practice gets scrubbed on the Saturday. You remember this, right? Mm-hmm. And Bruce Boudreaux describes it as a gut feel. Mm-hmm. A gut feel. Now, I trust Boudreaux's gut. He's been around a long time. But think about how the best sports organizations in the world regard human performance. Think about how much thought goes into it. Right? A gut feel? I don't like to hear that. That's like one of those things, like I'm not criticizing anybody for it so much as it's deeply troubling. If the process to determine rest if a process to manage load and ensure optimal performance comes down to gut feel, 
Well, then you're playing hockey in the 80s, and no one else is. Everyone else is playing hockey in 2022. Everyone else. If that's how decisions are getting made, that's a very scary window into what this club is, and more than that, what they've become. Because a decade ago, they were playing hockey in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. I thought that again on Saturday night, watching Hockey Night in Canada, cold beer in my hand, no, no Canucks game on, no work, just get to enjoy a Saturday night slate, which I love to do. And the Tyler Myers stuff pops up. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think this is a huge shock that the Ottawa Senators would be eager to acquire a defenseman. <laughs> no, we've heard that. Well, we, I, going back to when they played Ottawa, not that just was we've the heard talk, that. We've right? seen them yeah. play. We. We were, I was half joking about Tyler Myers or Travis Hamanick after they played Ottawa. <laughs> do you do you fix to like if you went into this if you went into this season having fundamentally underrated what it takes to win in the NHL the way Pierre Dorian did and failed to fix your blue line and this isn't even a subtweet at Canucks management you're going to be looking for defensemen in season especially once you're getting booed off the ice and things are spitballing away from you the way that they are predictably by the way from the Ottawa Senators. With regards to Myers for Zaitsev, though, I don't think people understand how much better Tyler Myers is than, than Nikita, Nikita Zaitsev. Zaitsev. Well, Nikita Zaitsev can't crack that Ottawa Senators defense. <laughs> where's so Tyler right Myers? There. Where's Tyler Myers would play twenty-five minutes a night? Yeah, you know, like I, far be it from me to be the guy extolling the virtues of Tyler Myers' performance. But Tyler Myers is significantly better than Zaitsev. And from the perspective of a team that's as far away as I believe this Canucks team is, and as you know, we consistently say mm -hmm. on, on these airwaves, on this program, fundamentally, the question is not, does Zaitsev improve this blue line? Like, does swapping out Myers for Zaitsev help you get like a, a more defensive piece? Is it like an upgrade on Shen, and then you get futures for Shen, and then... No, I mean, I mean, here's the big problem. Here's the big problem with this. Tyler Myers is a six foot eight, super experienced, super well respected as a teammate, right, and as a professional player. He's a right-handed defenseman, and he's got two years left with a five million dollar bonus that gets paid prior to next season. A year from now, provided that Tyler Myers is healthy. He becomes one of this organization's absolute best trade chips. A blue chip trade asset in 12 months. Okay? The only way swapping out Myers for a like player like Zaitsev, although an a inferior downgrade. version, a downgrade. a downgrade, and saving $1.5 like the overall cap liability saved is $3 million in the swap, right? $3 million. So that's not it's three million spread over two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Total cap liability three million, not insignificant. But the question is, does the loss of value going from Myers to Zaitsev is that offset by what you can recoup for one point five over the next two years? Like, can you generate enough value out of that extra space from for and and honestly, from a long term asset perspective, in my in my opinion, that's how I'm going to be analyzing this because. This team needs things that are going to hit in four, three, three, four years, right? From a, from an asset value perspective, can you off, can you make more in terms of value? Can you create more value out of that sliver of additional space yep. than you can by just holding Myers, paying him the bonus, and then shopping him on? The answer is no, unequivocally no. Tyler Myers is a pure hold 
a pure hold for this team. Um, I know Elliot Friedman talked about it a little bit on the 32 Thoughts podcast today and dis- and said, you know, it basically fell apart over sweeteners or, or what have you. You know, I really hope that the impetus here is not ducking the bonus in a season in which the Canucks look like they're going to miss the playoffs because that would be a fundamental above hockey ops level misunderstanding of exactly what this team needs to do to get back on track. I also hope that it wasn't a hockey ops driven vision of how to clear cap space because that, I mean, if you're trading Myers for a downgrade, it better be a guy on a one year deal. You better be carving out six million for next season. You better be carving out meaningful cap space. Otherwise, he becomes one of your best trade assets in 12 months. You hold that player. You hold that player. And that's why when I was, again, kind of half-jokingly tongue-in-cheek, you know, said the the Tyler Myers for Travis Hamannick thing, Travis Hamannick expires after this year, right? So you're opening up all of Tyler, Myler, Tyler Myers' salary uh, going into this summer, which I think would be a massive deal uh, for the Vancouver Canucks because then you get into a position where, yeah, you're not getting any tangible on-ice return or, or – asset return for Myers, but you're opening up so much cap space right away going into the offseason that I do think it makes it worth it. I agree. And, I, I, and, I still I still would be hesitant to do it just because there's other pieces that I would value more in terms of carving out cap space, like other pieces that aren't likely to see their value balloon. Mm. You know, like if you deal Myers for cap space, right, and say that other team gets off to a poor start next season, they're going to trade Myers for $1.50 versus what they paid seven, eight months from now. This team's not close enough to warrant losing a trade like that. The whole exercise needs to be to bring value into this organization. Moving Myers is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the task at hand, of what this group needs to do. You know what it is? It's playing It's playing with an arm tied behind your back. You not, know, unlike, not, not unlike gut field days off. I will say, though, so first of all, we should obviously acknowledge this trade didn't happen. <laughs> But, and, and, you know, we'll hear from it's Friedman. It's the shape I want, of it. I we want to play, talk the shape yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah. I want to play the Friedman clips. There's one from 32 Thoughts and one from Merrick. If you're looking for the, I don't know if you want to call it the, the silver lining or whatever it is, to me, the fact that they would apparently be willing to take the downgrade on the ice for cap savings, at least you're starting to ask the right question. That's what I would say. Now, maybe you think, well, but it's not enough cap savings because you can actually do more later. That's fine. I can completely agree with that. But it's not. I see. I disagree. It's not with you. we're giving up. You know, we're trying to improve the team right now. It's taking a step back because it opens up some flexibility that will help you improve the team down the road. And it's not sufficient in that regard. But to me, it's at least starting to ask the right question rather than how can we turn this around? How can we make the team better next oh, year? Oh, sure. But, I mean, if you're asking that question, you're you're way off. But we haven't seen a lot of evidence that they've stopped asking that question. We've heard, but we haven't seen it in terms of action. Right. Right? Yep. Uh, okay. Fine. So that, that that's and, fine. And again, but I don't a, think I, it would be the I, the I'm optimal not, move. I'm not applauding a baby step. I want to see a full step forward. <laughs> I am applauding a baby step. I'm not. I'm not willing. Gotta, to, you got to start somewhere. I'm gotta, not willing <laughs> to treat a 52 year old organization like crawl. it's a startup. You got to crawl before you walk. No answer. You got to crawl before you walk. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's hear from Elliot Friedman on this, and then there was an interesting follow up from this morning with him on Merrick. But first, here's Friedman on the latest 32 thoughts podcast talking about a potential uh, Tyler Myers to Ottawa deal. Here's Elliot Freeman. You know, he said that Myers hadn't turned down a trade to Ottawa. You know, I'd heard the same thing recently. Again, there's a lot of people with differing opinions on this, but as it stands right now, I do think Ottawa and Vancouver talked about a Myers for Zaitsev deal, and it never 
got to the point where at least not recently when Myers even had to accept it Mm -hmm. and Myers could block it. And I think it's even possible that Zaitsev could block it. I'm not sure, but it's not like he was blocking it. He was going to Belleville. So he wasn't going to say no to anything. And some people were asking me, well, why would these teams do that? And to me, I think it's actually pretty simple for Ottawa. Who's lost confidence in Zaitsev. They would have a player that they would use in Myers For Vancouver, you get a million and a half in cap room because even though they're both signed for one more season, uh, Myers uh, is a six million cap hit and Zaitsev is is four and a half. So that's a reason there. And Vancouver is looking for a bit more cap room to do some things. You know, the other thing here, too, is that the reason I think it didn't get to a stage where anyone was specifically asked to approve it is that I don't think they could agree on what else would be part of the deal. Um, You know, I think there was the possibility of a draft pick, maybe someone else included, and I just don't think the two teams could agree on it. So that's why it didn't happen. And the other thing, too, is we'd mentioned, I'm sure it's true, that there was at least one player that turned down a deal to Ottawa, and that's why a lot of people started wondering about Myers. Mm. But in this case, it's not him. So there's a little bit of clarification and, and further reporting on the potential deal from Elliot Friedman saying it never got to the point where Tyler Myers was going to be asked or Tyler Myers was able to turn it down. Uh, you know, we had somebody point out that Tyler Myers has a 10-team trade list. But yeah, and we don't, that, know, that, we don't even know if Ottawa's on it. Exactly. So, but And I would say this. I would say this. If you're a player with a 10-team trade list who wants to stay where you are playing – Typically speaking, what what do you do? You put the teams that are contenders... That are likely to be interested in your services. In, likely to need a defender upgrade and are willing to pay for it in midseason on the list. And Ottawa, especially considering the list has to be submitted you know, July 13th, like might not have been on the radar. So we don't know. We don't know if he's on the list. El- Elliot's sort of saying... Um, that that Myers would have any control, though, implies to me maybe he knows more than us, yeah. but we don't actually know. But at, at any rate, the reporting there is that it never got to the you're consulting players with no trade clauses or you're, you're consulting their list stage. It broke down at the team-to-team stage uh, because there were going to be more pieces involved than just Myers for Zaitsev. We don't know what pieces. We don't know what, go, what going in which direction. Uh, but that was the reporting from Elliot Friedman on why a Myers for Zaitsev deal uh, never materialized, never got into the late stages uh, of getting done. Now, I thought this was really interesting as well from Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick show today. So obviously he reported that on Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, obviously Rick Dollywell in market and some others were following up with reporting I about spoke, that deal. And I spoke with Myers, by the way, at length, about seven minutes today talking about it. Talking about tuning it out, talking about his reaction to it. Uh, you know, when it's hockey night in Canada, you, you take a little more. You notice, you, you know, like it's not like it's you're not probably like, getting some texts about it. Th- there's no E4 on it. You know, you're not like, <laughs> well, that's nothing. That's just that's just you know a, a, a rumor website, right? This is oh, this is something he noticed, made some calls about. Um, you know, he he's been through it a lot in his career. When you think about how long he's been around, when you think about the fact that he's been traded, mm-hmm. he's been an unrestricted free agent. He's used to tuning out noise. He knows how to do it. He hasn't been through it in this market, but I don't think it's a lot different from a player's perspective than it was when he was in Buffalo. You know, and, and I think for for him, it's just like, well, what do you expect when the team's played this way? Like, it's on us to to win here. You know, like that's kind of as simple as it is from his view. Boudreaux echoing the, that commentary uh, after. 
the locker room closed in his availability this morning, too. So let's hear uh, the follow-up clip from Freeman again. That reporting was on Hockey Night in Canada, and then he was in- it was interesting to hear about the response that Elliot Freeman heard about some of his Canucks reporting. Uh, here's what he had to say on the Jeff Merrick show today. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I got some interesting pushback actually this morning. I got a call from someone, uh, uh, Jeff, who said that they're not really in a race to do anything. And it doesn't mean that they're not considering things. It doesn't mean that they're not looking into options. But now watch. We'll hang up and they'll do like a 13-player trade that's going to make <laughs> me look like a complete doofus. Uh, but someone said to me that they're, yeah, they're taking stock on what's out there, but they're not really in a race to do anything. And, um, mm. the, you know, they, they, they still have they, they still have time. Uh, to do uh, to, to make some decisions, I think they recognize, you know, where they are in the standings. I, I think they've had some conversations uh, potentially about what they might want to do coaching-wise, but I, I'm not convinced they've made any offers. Um, I think they've had conversations about what they might want to do trade-wise, but they're not hurrying anything. Like you know, you and I we talked about the the Myers for Zaitsev thing, and, uh, and like I just think that was that kind of fell apart on what could happen around the, around the two players. Um, but like I said, like I, I had someone who said to me this morning, it says that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talk here, but doesn't mean that we're, or, or actually it wasn't even someone in there. It's it, there. It doesn't mean that they're in a race to do anything. And uh, I, uh, I thought that was interesting. I think they, I think they realized they don't have to rush and, one of the things that I, I think they feel is that sometimes in the past there have been rush decisions that have taken them longer to get out of. So if it takes them a little bit longer to decide, um, but they think the end, end result is smarter, they're, they're ready to do that. That's Elliot Friedman on the Jeff Merrick Show reporting that uh, he got a little pushback from sources saying, you know, the Canucks aren't in a rush to do anything. Uh, they have time. They're willing to use it. They don't want to make a panic decision. And then specifically at the end, as you said, you know, maybe in the past <laughs> things have been rushed and they want to take the time to do things right. And I will say, you know, as much as we've been on here banging the drum for a rebuild, right, and for a significant change in direction, I completely understand the perspective of that doesn't mean you have to rush, you have to rush a move and end up making the wrong move. And look, you were just explaining why you think ultimately Tyler Myers is going to have more value in the future. I think you can look at a lot of potential trade candidates on this team and say the same thing, right? I mean, we've talked about it with Connor Garland. We've talked about it with Brock Besser. Tanner Pearson's injured right now, but he could be in a similar situation. He's absolutely uh, in a to Tyler situation. Myers, right? Yeah. Where he's going into his final year of his deal. Expiring next contracts year. become valuable. So there's not a lot think about, of think about JT Miller having Sky-high trade value, or maybe not sky-high, but very high trade value before the extension. And now, you know, the way he's talked about by the likes of Frank Saravalli and honestly people within the industry too is, you know, someone you could move because JT Miller is really good, but not in a cash-neutral deal. It's a lot more complicated. You've got to take money back. You've got to figure it out. Yeah, it becomes a lot more complicated. So there's a lot of players on this team in that position, and there's not a lot of players, I don't think, where you look at it the other way and you say, oh, man, they have to do this deal right now. They have to find a way uh, to, no. to either get off this deal or move this player. I mean, I mean by the deadline. Bo- by the deadline, sure. By but, the deadline, like, in the Bo- next two weeks, in the next list. month? No, no, no. You know what I mean? That that That's well, just not the case. And, and 
it's hard to make deals from a position of weakness. You know, like the best thing you could do, the best thing you could do in my view anyway, would be to look at and evaluate this team ruthlessly right now. Let them play through it for a bit because you're going to start winning more than you have. And then when teams think like, oh, may- maybe they're in the playoff mix, when teams have doubt about whether or not you're going to go for it or not, because mm-hmm. that's probably coming. That's very probably coming. I mean, look, it's a tough week. It's right? a really Vegas tough week. Vegas twice it's in a Colorado. Really tough week. We could definitely be having a very different conversation uh, when we come on air a week today. But we also, you know, the Canucks also could go two and two or, you know, five points out of uh, out of the next four. And then, you know, I'm sure there'd be the simmerings of excitement in this market. False hope again. Well, and they've already stabilized to the point where they're now above all the teams on the Western Conference that you would have said no doubt they're going to be above, right? Anaheim, San Jose, Arizona, Chicago. So they've already moved out of, as you said, the true Bedard sweepstakes. So even if you're just hanging around that next group, like around around 500, the conversation around your team is so much different than if you're at the like 330 points percentage, 350 points percentage, right? Oh, Where yeah. it's or I mean, they, they were they were what 31st in the NHL by point percentage going into the game in Buffalo. Yeah, and I mean, and now what? They're they're probably in and around the zone that they will finish. Although I still think there's a couple teams in the East that they can catch. Teams that I'm not, I'm still yeah, not buying, is... like Detroit. Yeah. You know, uh, Detroit and they're tied Philly. with Columbus, for example. Yeah, they're yeah. still they're still below so like Philly. Philly. So they're still Philly, teams Montreal, they can catch. Detroit, Philly, Montreal, Detroit, at least, and then and then a couple other teams that should they come down to earth a bit, like Winnipeg, Nashville. You know, yeah. I, there's still some teams that are higher up the standings that I don't buy either. But you're right. Even if they just play 500 for like a month or a hair above 500, it's a completely different perception of the team around totally. the NHL. It's not, oh my gosh, there's a crisis going on in Vancouver. They have to do something. It's, oh, okay, they're a middling team hanging around the fringes of the playoff. Use race. that. Like right now, anyway, in my view, it, this organization should be happy that they're doing better, right? Uh, the, the goal should be to have some stability, to turn the noise down around the group, right? To win some games. Use that space of the team performing better, which they should, which they should over the next six weeks, use that to begin to launch a, a multi-year process to dismantle this roster and change things. Like, that's that's the only way out forward, in my opinion. That That's in line with what we talk about every day on this program. But let's get into the game when we get back. Yeah, let's do it. There's a big, <laughs> big game tonight against a really good team, kicking off uh, a really tough week for the Canucks, as we just alluded to. So we'll start talking about the game against the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll take some of your texts as well. 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. More coming up on the other side here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. On a Canucks game day, it's Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Uh, live from Rogers Arena and live from the Kintec Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 7.30 puck drop for the Canucks against the Vegas Golden Knights, Trancer, uh, who have been one of the most impressive teams in the league. Certainly, I would say the most impressive team in the Western Conference uh, thus far this season, and the Canucks get them twice, twice this week, tonight, and then in Vegas on Friday. It's a massive week. It's the, uh, 
I don't want to say dreaded necessarily, but the the uh, highly anticipated American Thanksgiving week, right? And we all yeah. we all know the implications the, the season, in the standings and all that I for th- NHL teams. We need to look at exactly when American Thanksgiving usually falls within the NHL season. One thing, because we all we hype that up a lot, mm-hmm. uh, us in the hockey media, and. I think the season started about a week later than it usually does this year. So I wonder if like yeah. December first is sort of the day. Uh, j- just just back of the na- back of the napkin. That's like the week I'm looking at as being more telling in terms of the shape of the playoff picture and the odds of getting back in. Uh, Dom Lucision's model, by the way, today Canucks at thirty percent. So there you go. Very much so. It is early. <laughs> like it is way too early uh, to give you a sense of it. Despite how it might feel around this team. Their odds never got close, like never got within 10% of this at any point during the Bruce There It Is run last season, right? They have time still to steady this ship. Dom's model believes in their goaltending and believes in some of the uh, elite talent on this roster. Uh, I think quite rightly, and that's why they're, they're sort of playoff odds. Like they have almost twice the playoff odds as the St. Louis Blues. I'd fade that reading from the model. I think the St. Louis Blues are materially better, but, you know, very much so. This season is not... Lost by any means. It's yet. it's not, but this does feel like a legitimately really big week. Even even setting aside the American Thanksgiving, yeah. and because I'll kind of roll it over, you know, American Thanksgiving is Thursday, but let's include the Friday and Saturday games. Sure, in this as well, and it's the, the four, American Thanksgiving long weekend. The long weekend, yes. <laughs> it's um because it's it it's the teams they're playing, and the fact that it's four games this week, and even you end on San Jose, but that's you know you're coming back home after playing in Vegas on Friday, so it's not as easy a game as you might prefer against a team like San Jose. But this is the kind of thing, as you said, look, hey, if you go five points in four games this week, that's going to do wonders for how how you're perceived around the league, for what your actual playoff chances are in the Western Conference. If this is a week where Vegas and Colorado and then Vegas again really put their foot down on you and really show the gap in quality and you're not able to get results – all of a sudden, you're a quarter of the way through the season, and now you've dug that hole a little bit more. So it's it's a really tough test. I think it has massive implications uh, for what they're going to do for the rest of the season, for what the rest of their season is going to look like. And again, starts against Vegas. Uh, update from the morning skate, which wrapped up uh, a little while ago here at Rogers Arena. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux at some point in this segment as well not a lot of changes to the forward group it was still the same top line Horvat with Miller and Garland Patterson Kuzmenko Mikheyev Pod Colson comes in on a line with Sheldon Dries and Brock Besser same fourth line which means Niels Hoaglander looks to be a healthy scratch again tonight I hate it it's the bouncing around too that always does it for me in and out in and out in and out it makes no sense it is what I can't quite wrap my head they better uh, keep around. winning if they're going to be utilizing their young players like this. You know, I, I had some people reach out to me, industry evaluators, people like that. What's going on with Pod Colson? What's what's going on with Pod Colson? I see he's getting healthy scratched. Has he pl- been playing poorly? And my only response is like, no. I think he's played really Like, when I think about what I've seen from Pod Colson this season, I know the bottom line stats haven't been there, but, like, he looks so much more dynamic as a puck carrier. He looks so much more useful as a playmaker like what when i think about what pod colson's shown me since training camp like over the last eight weeks i'd say i've been impressed like i i I have a higher opinion today than i did coming into canucks training camp of vasily pod colson's ceiling i also like how he's mixed it up physically like i liked 
the way that he got involved in Boston. Um, you know, I think he's been pretty useful. It's just that he's his usage has been all over the place. It hasn't made sense to me. And his confidence seems down as well, even though I do think he's playing well, well which is a, kind of a funny combination. He's a thinker, though, right? Yeah. He's he's one of those guys who's a thinker, which, again, is one of those things that long, long haul, I like to bet on a thinker, but short haul... You know, it can be a it can be a double edged sword. It can be a negative in that you dwell on the misses. You you look at the stats. You you know can get a little down on yourself. And and Bruce Boudreaux's talked about Pod Colson being wired that way in the past. So I have no reason to doubt it. Also, everything I know about his work rate and how thoughtful he is off the ice makes like that's all consistent in terms of painting the picture of a of a young man who you know can can get into that space. By the way, I goofed. I said that the uh the Vegas San Jose games were Friday, Saturday. They're Saturday, Saturday Sunday. Sunday. So yeah. you got the extra game off after the game in Colorado before that or extra day off before uh which, that game which in means, Vegas. Which means what? When you look at the schedule like that, what does that mean for the Colorado game? I don't know. It means you better play well. You better play well cuz you want that green light. You know, you're, 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 oh, you want the actual you, day off. You lose. It's an hour flight, yeah. and you lose an hour. So you land at like 10 p.m. Vegas time. You want the day off on the Thursday because you want the green light in Vegas that night. <laughs> Very badly. Very badly. So if that Canucks team isn't hungry as anything for that game in Colorado on Wednesday, um, you know, then they're, then they're teetotalers. <laughs> uh, so Niels Hoaglander is going to be the scratch, and then it's uh, Dakota Joshua, Niels Amon, and <laughs> Curtis that, Lazar. Did that cross a line? No, you no, really just... had you really had a surprised reaction to that. <laughs> I'm just not going to say anything about it. I'm, I'm going to move on. Okay, let it let it breathe just for a split second, and then move on. Uh, so that's how your forward groups group stacks up, and then on the blue line, no changes. Hughes, Shen, OEL, Bear, Stillman, Myers, Jack Rathbone, and Kyle Burrows. Your extras, Kyle Burrows, remains out of the lineup we've talked about it at length but it is interesting because it's not even it's not even a case of we're not going to change a winning lineup because they are making the change at forward right so it's it's just such a such an odd situation uh right now i i like i thought riley stillman was fine ish against la but i didn't think he had a great game certainly not one where you look at and say well there's no way you can play you can take him uh, out of the lineup after that performance doesn't make any sense to me anyways kyle burrows (laughs) Still not going to be in. <laughs> Text in from Tyler, by the way. Canucks are the Brussels sprouts of the NHL. Some people like them, some don't. And you sprinkle a bit of bacon representing wins on them to make them more edible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think I think that actually dovetails nicely with our overarching sentiment, right? Which is at the end of the day, I think this market deserves more than a side. Like, I want more than a side dish for this market. I want well, I want a main. And I was thinking about this. I want to chop. I want a prime chop of meat. I was thinking about this again when I was watching the game on Friday because you look at how they win that game. And Thatcher Demko plays really well and you get two goals from Elias Pettersson, two goals from Brock Besser, right? Like two of your young stars who you drafted in the first round and you've seen come up, you know, Elias Pettersson wins the Calder, Brock Besser's a, no- a nominee for the Calder and, and those are the guys who help you get this big win. And like I can understand why there has been a reluctance for Canucks fans to kind of mentally commit to the idea of wanting a rebuild. You know what I mean? Because there is a, there's a, this emotional attachment to really good players who the team has drafted and brought in. And, and they're still young. Exactly. And they're still young. And three or four years ago, that's kind of what everyone was dreaming about. A night where Thatcher Demko plays really well and you get two goals from Elias Pettersson, two goals from Brock Besser, and you beat a divisional opponent. So I understand there's this kind of, oh, I... I 
that's what I was wanting. That's what I was hoping for. And it's hard to move on from that. And I feel like there's almost this sense that by advocating for a rebuild, you're you're turning your back on those players. You know what I mean in a weird way? Like you're letting you're letting go of that hope. But the way I would look at it is and I've been pretty I've tried to be clear about this. When I say a rebuild, that doesn't mean you jettison Elias Pettersson. That doesn't mean you jettison Quinn Hughes. That doesn't mean you jettison Thatcher Demko. Now, you're smiling because you might be more open to it than me, but I certainly don't think you have to. And the way I would kind of try to frame it is, you know, you're not, like, betraying those players or giving up on them. If anything, you're maybe belatedly doing right by them, by Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, if you do embark on a rebuild. And, you know, as you said, it's just you have to be, you know, they deserve more than what they've been given, I guess is the way I'm saying it. You're talking about the fans, but I would even look at those young players that a lot of people have that emotional connection with, and I don't think it has to be read as an indictment on those players. If anything, you can read it as the organization's going to give them a chance. we we got to get to Bruce. Dan Murphy, listening live, texts in to say that the team's staying over in Colorado. Oh, pain. Painful. Painful. Well, now, now... Now, now I'm not going to advocate for taking the Canucks on the money line. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Anyways, that's what I was thinking about uh, uh, during the game on Friday uh, as we continue the <laughs> fried Brussels sprouts uh, analogy in the 650-650 inbox. But, yes, as you said, let's get to Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux, who spoke to the media at Rogers Arena ahead of the game against Vegas tonight. Well, obviously a very good hockey club, playing very good. I mean uh... – uh, I think they're eight one and one on the road, um, so they know how to play on the road. It's uh, uh, they're going to be a tough opponent. So I mean, it's a great challenge, and I think those are the kind of things that you really want if you want to if you want to get better. Demko going a second straight game. Do you think he maybe turned the corner a bit into that performance on Friday? I mean, it was a good performance on Friday, but you know, I've always been told you know anybody can do anything once. I mean, Demmer's the kind of guy that can do it often. Uh, we're hoping that that did turn the corner, and uh, but I mean I can't predict the future. We'll see tonight. Pod Colson looks like he might be getting back in the lineup tonight. He'll play. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where do you rate uh, his game as as being at in terms of his progress, not necessarily in terms of his overall form, but how he's. Hey, you know what? It's a. Uh, I think he's learning to play the the right way now. He plays hard all the time. I mean. There's so many times you have a sophomore jinx. I can look, you can look at almost every team that uh, a rookie that had a, a pretty good year has a little bit of a letback. But, I mean, it's not uh, for effort or anything from him. And I still expect him to, at some point, uh, uh, turn the corners. And sometimes you score a goal, and, and all of a sudden that's all you need. So uh, he tries so hard, and uh, uh, everybody wants him to succeed. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he gets it soon. Did the game on Friday feel to you like a template of how this team can win games where you get the saves, you get the power play going? Yeah, I think that's pretty well the the, the way we did it a little bit last year. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you bend but you don't break and, and you get the great goaltending. And But I think we can be better than that. I, I thought we had still a lot of holes in, in the, that game against L.A. and we can get a lot better in our own zone. So hopefully we've... Uh, Fixed up a couple of those things, and uh, we'll see how see if it's uh, improved tonight. Bruce, back to back clean sheets on the PK. 
knock on wood. What have you seen the last couple of outings that you've liked? Well, I mean, uh, it, it's not not necessarily the last couple outings. It's, you know, maybe you go back to the Toronto game and the Boston game where I thought we were really good, and then you just have, uh, on the PK and you have some bad luck and they score. But that's just a continuation of gaining the confidence in the previous games and uh, and doing it. And so hopefully they're they're gaining a little bit of confidence. Lazar is going to help the the PK as well. So I mean, it's uh, uh, you know we do it again and and we just see how how long we can keep this up. Why does a Lazar make a difference? He was on a really good PK in Boston uh, when he was paralyzed. Well, he's good. He sells out, right? Yeah, he sells out. He's got energy, blocks shots. He pays the price. And, you know, penalty killers, if you want to succeed, pay the price. I mean, there's a lot of different kind of penalty killers. Uh, he'd be one of those guys that pays the price to succeed. You've got other guys that have got great anticipation and great hands. You've got other guys that win face-offs and, and do that. But it takes a combination of a lot of those things to be a good penalty kill. Bruce? I don't have to tell you that there's been a lot of noise and speculation around your hockey club, whether it's about you or, or various players. How do you, as a head coach, try and turn that in your advantage or deal with it? No, we, don't, we don't talk about anything like that. We just talk about the process of winning and how to go about it. And uh, uh, everything else to us is just white noise. Has it surprised you at all being in a Canadian market for the first time and, and going through this over the course of the past few weeks? Nothing surprises me. And you've been in the game as long as I've been. Every day you go, oh, I can't believe this is happening. So, I mean, nothing surprises me. So, uh, but, again, it just, it's just go about our business and, and try to win hockey games. That's, uh, that's what we can control. That's Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> Nothing surprises me when he's been in the game as long as he has. Every morning you wake up and go, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Welcome to hockey life. Well, and as we said off the top of the show, right, no games over the weekend, no practice on Saturday because of a gut feeling, but still like at the tip of the tongue of on Hockey Net in Canada. Everywhere else that people are talking about hockey, the Canucks names are coming up. It's Bruce Boudreaux. It's his players. They managed to get the win on Friday night, and, you know, I – Boudreaux has done a really, really admirable job of not letting or not contributing to the drama surrounding the team, right? He has never once thrown gasoline on the fire or exacerbated the conversation that's been having happening around the team, even though he's been right at the center of it. And very public criticism of him has been right at the center of it. Well, actually, the reason I frame the question that way, right? Like, how do you can you use it? to your advantage is one thing that occurs to me is that when the noise turns up around a group of players but also around the coach then all of a sudden you're in it together as opposed to coach being a proxy for the organization Mm -hmm. right now the inverse can happen too like I think one of the things that really went wrong for this team was once last year I mean not this season but the season previous is I think with all of the dysfunction that had occurred after the bubble right in 2021, I think Travis Green was ab- was exempt from it because of the weirdness of his contract status. And then once he got extended, I think he was part of it. You see what I'm saying? I yep. think that contributed to the team tuning him out the way they did. With Bruce now, however, you've got the opposite dynamic. Bruce is in the same boat as any veteran player who ever sees their name appear in a trade room or a report. Right? Like, he's part of the noise, too. If From a, you know... Uh, group gets on a groove because they buy into each other. It's us against the world. Like that's sort of in Boudreaux's favor. I, I, I was wondering if he'd discuss that, if I presented it to him in a positive light, right? Like I'm, I literally, you can <laughs> see me straining to ask the question in a way that might appeal to Boudreaux at all. Um, he didn't take that bait. He doesn't take any of the bait, 
But I do think that's a dynamic underlying this too. And if the team does, you know, continue to compete for Boudreaux in this manner, you know, I, I wonder how much that'll be part of the story. Well, I, I think I've made this analogy on air, but it reminds me so much of the plot of Major League. <laughs> it reminds me so much of the plot of Major League, right? Where the owner is trying to move the team, and then the coach, the manager uses that, and they have something to rally against. It's not the manager. It's it's higher up uh, uh, of the team. Sorry, and Canucks food analogies continue to pour in. Yes, we got such do. a good one from they... Chet and Burnaby. Canucks are like a delicious roasted pig shot off your balcony. It's still good. It's just a little airborne. <laughs> what, a great, what a great episode. That is a fantastic poll and a fantastic reference. It's uh, from our guy, regular texter, uh, Chet in Burnaby. So if you have any other food analogies you'd like to... We, we did Air Bud and, and horrible movie sequels on Friday. Hit us up with your food analogies <laughs> well, today. I, I want to do more movie stuff. Well, uh, cause whatever. Because I, I watched Wakanda Forever Yes. on Friday. And then I started a rewatch of the entire MCU in order. Sure. Because that's as one does. Um, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about... I was thinking about Canucks references throughout... Um, <laughs> As as one does, as one does when you're when you live, breathe, and and um, you know Canucks hockey, and uh, yeah, so I've got some MCU tie-ins. We'll get into them later. Uh, Todd the Planner texts in. Uh, Regardless of whether Bruce is the right coach for this team, he is such an open and generous person, a really refreshing personality, and someone the fans really want to succeed. Well said from Todd the Planner. It's, it's amazing the bond that he's managed to preserve with this fan base through all of this. Like that is a remarkable piece of PR. And I think it's normal, so you don't usually think about Bruce Boudreaux's commentary as PR. I think it's his genuine, you know, I think about, honestly, it's the Little League story. I keep coming back to the Little League Mm. story, right? Like, if anyone else did the Little League visit and talked about it publicly, I'd think it was like a cynical ploy engineered by their people. But with Bruce, you know for sure. He was just like, I love Little League baseball. I'm going to go see the team from Vancouver. You know, like, it's just... He's a likable guy. Yeah, it's it's unique. I, I can't really recall seeing anything else quite like it, right, where the coach comes in, is in a really, really tough situation, but manages to – because, you you know, not just in hockey, not just in Vancouver. No, the coach usually the coach is the first, first person to blame. To get turned on. Yeah. Like, look at what's happening. Like, of all the Ottawa Senators' issues, DJ Smith, not top five. Not top five. But that market has turned on mm-hmm. DJ Smith. Mm-hmm. Turned on him. It's and and again, as Todd the Planner said, I think you know. But maybe... but 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 the the, the hot Pierre summer T-shirts are still selling out. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just trying to find the guy who did this, <laughs> the guy who assembled that defense <laughs> and convinced everyone that yeah. they were going to be a, a a sleeper playoff team <laughs> with that defense. Mm, yeah. I don't know. DJ Smith is not wearing the hot dog costume. <laughs> no, no, he certainly isn't. But yeah, it's it's really remarkable. And as Todd the Platter said, I do think it's a uh, I do think it's a credit uh, to Bruce's personality and just his openness and his uh, his genuineness uh, when dealing with the media. We're going to take a break here momentarily. Uh, our Monday regular, Gemma Karsten Smith, is going to join us on the other side to talk about some of the most notable sound bites and clips uh, from the last week of Canucks hockey. And as ever, there are no shortage of interesting sound bites and quotes to get into with Gemma. Uh, we'll look more in depth at the the matchup with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. We have people texting in with their food takes, their movie analogies, their questions about Drance's MCU rewatch. So we'll address some of those uh, as well later in the show. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. 
Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, live from the Kintech studio at Rogers Arena on the road. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And Canucks Talk, as always, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We're doing, for some reason, food analogies for the Vancouver Canucks uh, today. <laughs> we really backed into this one. Yes. I, I couldn't. Well, somebody texted in about Brussels sprouts, so that's how it started. Anyways, Alistair and Clearwater with this one. The Canucks are like an old watermelon. Better to blow it up somehow than to try and salvage it. I can't say I've ever had that specific experience, Alistair. It's like, you just got this watermelon. Like, well, I guess I have to blow it up somehow. I mean, that sounds fun. I it just, does sound fun. It's not a thought I've ever had. I've never gone there. No. I'm not a big watermelon guy, so I don't know that I've ever had an old watermelon to deal with. But anyways, I, I get where you're going, uh, Alistair. All right, enough of that silliness. As mentioned, uh, our friend from the Canadian press covering the Vancouver Canucks, she joins us. Every Monday to talk about the Canucks and some of the most interesting quotes from the week. She is, of course, Gemma Karsten-Smith. Gemma, thanks as always. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing very, very well. We're having fun. We're at the rink. It's Canucks game day. Uh, Our listeners are sending in food-based analogies for the Canucks that we don't fully understand. But that's all right. We're having a really good time. uh, And uh, as always, very pleased uh, to be joined on the line with you. Um, uh, just before we uh, before we get into the quotes, what did you, Drance and I were kind of debating, you know, whether the Canucks actually played all that well on Friday. I said I thought it was one of their strongest performances of the season. Drance are not on board. What did you make of their uh, performance against the Kings on Friday? I think it was one of the best performances of the season, but I also think that's a very low bar to set. Yes, yes, so, that is very very fair. <laughs> um. I, like most in the building, I believe, um, thought that when they went up to nothing, that that was the death knell. But uh, they managed to pull it out somehow. They actually played like three complete periods, which is new and interesting. Um, yeah, there were definite lapses. Uh, there are definitely still big problem areas. But I, I thought that they looked a lot better than they have. Again, low bar. Yes, that is very very well said. Matches uh, pretty closely with I had to say in the first segment uh, as well. Now, Brock Besser scores his first two goals of the game in that win against LA, Gemma, and I know uh, he is the source of your first quote for us today. Yeah, it was impossible not to be just a little bit happy for Brock yep. Besser. I know Absolutely. we're all supposed to be these neutral journalists around here, but he's been through so much, and it was nice to see him get a couple of goals. Um, then speaking after the game, he admitted that uh, not scoring has been pretty tough for him. Anytime you have a goose egg and you're supposed to score and help the team, you know, win hockey games, and we're not winning hockey games, it weighs on you. And you know, that's so I get paid to do. I gotta make sure I continue to find ways to put the puck in the back of the net, and you know, that comes with hard work. So, yeah, it, it was. Uh, it felt really good to see him get the goals, uh, Gemin, especially because you know, as we all remember, he was. He was so confident in training camp, talking about this is the year that uh, that I'm going to hit 30, and it, it was such a tough start with the injuries and then just the the drought to begin the season for Besser. For sure. I mean, can he still get to 30? Possible. It's possible. Uh, I think he needs a few more two goal games to yes. get there. Uh, he needs to stay healthy, which is has been a problem for him historically. Um, but he, he only has nine, or I'm sorry, he only has two goals, but he's gone on a six-game six point streak now uh, with two goals and five assists across the stretch. So I, I think that we, we saw this building 
from him. Um, and I asked him that if, if he felt like it had been building. He said yes, that he's, he's been working really hard to, to get back to his true form. So hopefully this is something that he can continue rolling for a little while here. Yeah, Gemma, it seems to me, too, getting back into the net front on the power play um, probably plays a bit of a role in terms of getting him feeling the puck, feeling confident again. Uh, you know, still on the third line, though, um, what do you what do you view as the key to, to Besser sort of keeping up uh, a higher goal clip going forward than what we've seen to this point? For sure. I think he needs to be playing with guys who can distribute the puck to him, and I don't know that Sheldon Grise is the answer to that. Um, but I, I think that um, seeing him on PP1 is huge. I think that I don't know that he stays there forever because I, I do like Kuznicki in that spot. But uh, just to get him touching pucks, to get him shooting, we know he's a volume shooter, um, to get him uh, building his confidence again, that's all so huge. So uh, I think that once his confidence is, is a little bit higher, maybe he moves around in the lineup and finds maybe a better fit in terms of someone who can get him the puck in front of the net. Well, and I was wondering, you know, because I look at the, the what's the top line right now with Horvat and Miller together with Connor Garland, and I, I didn't think they had the strongest game uh, on Friday against L.A. And I, I agree with you about Besser probably needing to move up the lineup at some point. And I wonder if, you know, on the right wing with Miller and Horvat in place of Connor Garland, yeah, Horvat's not a traditional playmaking center, but J.T. Miller certainly uh, can distribute the puck if that might be a, a potential fit for, for Brock Besser moving forward at some point. I think that's definitely a potential fit moving forward. I think that that is a combination we've seen before and uh, are likely to see again. Besser, actually, even though he's only played, uh, what, 11 games, 12 games, he's got more points than Garland has. Uh, Garland's played 17 games. He's only got nine points. Garland hasn't been uh, necessarily benefiting from that uh, lineup. So maybe moving them both around finds um, some, some different um, getting a bit more rotation into the into those two two lineups could spark something uh, on both lines. Uh, in conversation with Gemma Carson-Smith here on Canucks Talk, uh, now you've got uh, a couple of quotes from the head coach, Bruce Boudreau, who, you know, constantly in the news for, for various reasons right now <laughs> for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, I'll let you tee up whichever uh, of, the, of the Boudreau clips that you want to start with here, Gemma. Yeah, so we're going to start um, with Bruce talking about the PK. And that's one area that we saw the Canucks make some progress this past week. Uh, it's not currently hammered in goals, especially in the first 20 seconds, and that seems like a, nearly a miracle. Um, so Boudreaux isn't quite ready to deem his penalty kill, penalty, penalty kill woes cured. Um, so let's listen to what he had to say. I'm just touching wood with that right now. So I mean, yeah, I mean, but it was good. I thought we we killed it. We killed it the right way, which was really important. And uh, I think they're they're getting it right now. So just keep the fingers crossed, and hopefully, uh, the next couple of games are going to be a real test. So we'll see how it works out. Gemma, <laughs> the the superstition of hockey coaches is always a favorite genre of quote for me. <laughs> what what stood out to you about this one? Um, I don't think he's joking when he says that he's going to touch wood and cross his fingers. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's not necessarily like the best uh, coaching method, but I think it's always got to go on right now. He's, he's 
thrown everything at the wall and he's just seeing what spaghetti sticks. So um, this seems to be sticking at the moment. They, the PK has killed off five in a row, including three in the win over Buffalo and then two against LA. So they're actually not currently the worst PK in the league. That seems like a big win. So uh, obviously still a lot of work to do. Um, I don't know that they uh, hold off the uh, Golden Knights tonight on the PK, but we'll see. Well, and getting Curtis Lazar back, uh, you know, he, he returned to the lineup on Friday. That that That's going to – they certainly are going to hope that that gives them a big boost on the PK. I mean, that was a huge part of the reason he was signed because we all know about how the PK struggled last year, and I think missing him from the lineup uh, probably made things a lot more difficult for Boudreaux and the coaching staff. Oh, for sure. And not a quote that we're going to hear this, this week, but I really like what Lazar had to say about dragging guys into the fight. Um, his energy, he he had a massive number of hits on Friday night. I can't remember. I think it was seven. But um, he's rivaling Luke Shen for hits. Like, oh, <laughs> that's unheard of. Rarefied air right there, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's coming for the people's hero crown. So, uh, no. Um, no, I think Curtis Lazar had a great game on Friday. Uh, he's, he brings a lot of energy. He brings that physicality that this team is often lacking. And uh, I think that... Uh, having him back, especially on the PKs, is absolutely huge for this team. It, it's such a cliche, right? The you know your goalie has to be your best penalty killer. That was you know whatever you think of the team's overall performance, that was clearly Thatcher Demko's best performance on Friday. And if they are going to move up the the PK rankings, or uh, you know from an NHL wide uh, perspective, they're going to need a lot more nights like that from Thatcher Demko, aren't they? Oh, for sure. I thought it was really interesting that Demko said he, it wasn't the best he'd felt all season. He said he felt better in Boston, and I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, it wasn't the result that they wanted in Boston, but um, uh, I thought that he it, it was a solid game for him, and you could see him growing throughout the game. It still wasn't perfect. There was a lot of scrambling in that third period. The, the couple of sequences where we saw um, Demko and a few different uh, Canucks players just swimming in the blue paint, not pretty, but um, <laughs> apparently effective. So Not whatever what gets want. it done. I think, no, no, no. But I mean, like you keep the puck out of the net. And the other thing that we saw with Demko on Friday night is that the puck would bounce off of him and not go in the net. Like just those tiny little bits of puck luck have not been going his way this year. So it's got to feel good for him to be see stuff going his way for once. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, what's next from uh, the Canucks head coach, Gemma? So the PK has been better, but obviously there's uh, still some work to be done with this team. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of folks have been calling for Kyle Burroughs to replace Riley Stillman in the Canucks' mm. bottom pairing. Uh, they both played 10 games a season, but Boudreau seems reluctant to submit Burroughs' spot in the lineups. Um, so here's the coach talking about why. He knows what his his role is. That I mean, he, he comes in, he's... He's a seventh D. He works hard. He practices hard. And when he gets in, he's got to always be ready. And that's his role. And uh, he knows it. I mean, we all would love to play 20 minutes every night. But, I mean, um, that's what makes Kyle a great teammate. I'm, I'm assuming it's the seventh D thing that really stuck out to you because that's what stands out to me anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I personally think that Burroughs has played a better overall game this season than Stillman has. Um, 
maybe it, it's that they're both kind of the seventh man right now and they're waiting for Dermot to uh, be healthy enough to slot back in. Question mark about when or if that happens. I know he was uh, skating in a uh, non-contact jersey today, so maybe he's, he's getting there, but we'll see. But I, I'm just... Uh, I I thought it was really interesting that he said that uh, Burroughs, like, that's his spot. He's seventh man. Sometimes what happens to NHL players, Gemma, like, sometimes a guy gets pigeonholed as a certain thing, and it takes forever. And in Kyle Burroughs' case, you know, you play 400 AHL games, you're a captain down in Bridgeport before you ever really become an everyday NHLer, and now he's sort of stuck in that depth NHLer as opposed to being seen as something more, and... You know, my view of it anyway is like that to me is an evaluation blind spot, right? Like just because that's what he has been doesn't mean that's what he is. And on this team, I think you can make the case that he should be a lot higher than seventh defenseman for sure. Agreed. He's never going to be Queen Hughes. That's not the game he plays. But he definitely um, could be moving up this lineup. This is not a, a stacked blue line that the Canucks have. We've been saying it since... Um, the end of last season, that it, the blue line is an issue. I think that Burroughs is not an issue. I think that moving him up a little bit, cementing his spot, giving him some confidence to know that he's not going to be um, flooding in and out and sitting in the press box one night and then on the ice the next night. Like I, I think giving him a little bit of certainty could do wonders for not just him, but for the Canucks blue line. Well, and the surprising thing, like I can, I can kind of understand what what Boudreaux is talking about when he calls him a seventh defenseman, because yeah, I can imagine you know a really on a really good blue line, maybe that is the role that that Kyle Burroughs plays, but that's not the blue line the Canucks have to work with. And the surprising thing for me is that when Burroughs does get into the lineup for whatever reason, Boudreaux seems to really trust him. He plays him a lot, right? Like he'll regularly play over twenty minutes, so he obviously does have some regard for the player, but it just for whatever reason, then you also hear the seventh defenseman thing. And I can't quite square those two things in my mind. It's very confusing. It's like he thinks that Burroughs is like 35 years old and uh, he's not. He's 27. <laughs> um, he, he he can play these big minutes. He can play important minutes. And he does when Boudreaux puts him out there. And he does fine. Like, do, I don't think he's going to be out there ripping things up, scoring game-winning goals, any of that, anytime soon, maybe ever. Um, but he's really reliable. I, I think he's a lot more reliable than the other options in this lineup. And I I just think it's really interesting that, uh, that he is um, – seconded to this this seventh defenseman spot with yeah I, I mean I think you're right and I I do think for you <laughs> for you in your view should Kyle Burroughs be an every night player for this team yeah absolutely um yeah. and maybe that changes if Dermot's back in the lineup he's healthy and he's playing well but that's not the case um right. hasn't been the case all season so you play with the pieces you got, and I would put Burroughs in every night as if he was the piece that I have with this this roster. Uh, last couple minutes here with Gemma Karsten-Smith of the Canadian Press, uh, our regular weekly segment with Gemma. And uh, final quote of the week comes from uh, Vasily Podkolzin, Gemma. Okay, so I just wanted to include this one because it's funny. <laughs> and it's been a heavy start to the season, 
with this team. So yes. we've got to get our chuckles. Where we, we need some go. levity. We need some levity where we can find exactly. it, Jeff. Exactly. And as we all know, uh, the silly pod calls in dropped the gloves with AJ Greer in Boston, leaving him with a black eye. And then Pod Colson was asked what his wife thought about the look, and uh, here's his response. He said, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she's probably been right. <laughs> there you go. The wife, not a fan. Not a fan of Pod Colson. Or at least not the result. Maybe she, she doesn't have a problem with him dropping the gloves, but the, the result on his face, uh, not so was, much a fan. That's very good. It was just, it was hilarious. And then um, on Friday night, he was up in the press box, um, and he had worn a maroon suit that really matched his black eye. So good for him for style points. Maybe maybe the wife helped him uh, color code, <laughs> color <It's really> <laughs> color coordinate yeah. the yeah. the the eye and the uh, and the suit. What Drance and I were talking about a little bit that Pod Colson obviously the production is not there at all, and he's been moved around the lineup, in and out of the lineup. But when we look at it, we don't necessarily see a player really struggling. We like a lot of the things that he's doing. What have you seen from Vasily Pod Colson this year? Agreed. Um, I think that, yeah, obviously his production's dropped off, but I like the way he, um, he's playing bigger than his size. He's, he's um, laying hits. He's, he's getting into those areas where um, he needs to be battling for the puck, and he's, he's fighting hard. So, yeah, he's not uh, putting up giant points or many points at all, <laughs> but um, he's, he's making himself useful in other ways. So I don't mind his game so far this year. Um, I don't disagree with scratching him every now and then um, to see if you can get something different going with this lineup. I mean, like, with the way they've been playing, it hasn't. you've had to try everything. Um, but I, I think that he's, he's brought something unique to this team that's necessary. So uh, I like the way he's playing. I think that uh, he'll be just fine going forward. Gemma, always really appreciate it. Great stuff as usual. We will chat next Monday. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Cheers, Gemma. There she is, Gemma Carson-Smith, covering the Canucks for the Canadian press and a regular contributor here on Canucks Talk. And, yeah, very, very glad to uh, bring a little bit of levity to the proceedings with the silly pod goals and quote there uh, at the end. And... uh, I don't know. We don't need to revisit the whole why. There's nobody else <laughs> fighting. Why was Von Colson doing it uh, himself? Take, but ends up with the... Uh... Yeah, I I mean, that that stuff bothers me a lot. That stuff bothers me a lot. So does the so does the slow start habit, right? Like, one thing that I can't shake, right? I, I like to be as cold and rational as possible in analyzing my hockey teams. But the fact that this is the third straight year where the Canucks have got out of the gate... Slowly, the fact that this group, you know, aside from a couple of guys like Puck Colson, Pearson, Shen, right? Like, there's a few guys. Lazar hasn't been in the lineup enough for me to exclude him either. You know, do the like game between the game stuff. That stuff just bothers me. It just really bothers me, and and does color some of my analysis in terms of being like, I don't really believe that this group can turn it around together. You know, like, it's a a big reason why... That's a huge part of it for me, is that if you're repeatedly having those letdowns, I do think that says something. More than what might be captured in the actual, you know, the underlying numbers or the possession numbers or anything like that. And that's a big reason why I was not... I I don't want to say necessarily high on the team coming into the season, but I was, like, I was open. I was open to the idea of this team having a successful year. Me too. And maybe even having a a year worth building off of into the future. But the exact same issues cropping up really did change how I look at this team. Well, and they point to me in a, in a really troubling direction, which is, do you like competing together? 
Mm. You know, like there are games you win in the NHL, right? And then there are games you have to work in to win. You know, and the good teams, the teams that are able to, you know, oh, no, they're getting terrible goaltending for 10 games, but they're 4, 5, and 1, right? And their season's not lost. Like, sometimes you have to be able to run uphill. Sometimes you have to be able to, like, win the games you have to work in. And, and I just sometimes worry, like, this team wins games when they get great goaltending, when their sh- finishing's opportunistic. Like, when is the time that this team comes into a game and nothing goes right for them and they still come out of it? Like, those are the games that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the month where your goaltender is not exceptional and you still find a way to be, like, 500. Mm. Right? Like, I don't even need to see a win streak. I just need to see, can you win? Can you hold the fort? Can you hold the line when things go against you? Right? Like, that's what really good teams in this league do. That's what I've never seen from this team. If you only win when everything aligns, then it's not sustainable. And that's sort of... What, what's been the story of this core group over the course of, you know, three, four years at this point. And I would say the other thing is when if you only win when the pressure is off or when there's no expectations. Totally. Right? Or once the teams start looking at you as an easy win on the on the calendar. Yeah. For sure. For sure. We'll ask Yannick Hansen about that the next time we, we talk because, you know, I always thought that that was bogus, but NHL players really do think like that. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, I'm this game tonight is going to be really interesting. I heard, I think it was uh, Bruff on the morning show, made the interesting point where, you know, the last time this team won two games in a row, um, it was a game where if it was their first one of the season against the Kraken where people said, yeah, you know, 5-4, but you didn't necessarily play all that well. Then you get a pretty convincing win over Pittsburgh, uh, and then you're not able to sustain sustain that and get outplayed by a better team, so you can't, you know, go from a two-game winning streak to an actual three-game winning streak. And this one sets up in a very similar way, right? They beat Buffalo, but probably didn't play that well, you know, 5-4, almost blow a three-goal lead, more convincing win uh, against L.A. on Friday, but now the level of competition goes way up. And again, it, it comes back, it's like a microcosm of what we're talking about, where when there are no expectations or you're playing a team like Buffalo, you find a way to get the win, but you can never sustain that and take it to the next step. And look, it's a really, really tough matchup. Vegas is a, is <laughs> they're playing very, very well. It's a hard game, but it can't just be another utter letdown. You know what I mean? And that so often has been what it's what it's been for this team, is that when they're faced with actual tough competition that, as you said, isn't taking them lightly, when you have a chance to actually get back in the playoff race rather than just, you know, it, it's we're already out of it, so we'll win a few games. When you have a chance to actually make it a reality, the payoff isn't there. So this is a week where you can... Look, it's going to take more than just one week to, to change people's minds, at least to change my minds, uh, on their ability to do it consistently. But this is the classic time where the team hasn't stepped up to the plate in these in these situations. Well, and these, this is really tough competition in terms of really, in terms really tough. Of, in particular, like what could this team do to really change my mind? It ultimately is less like if they get outshot forty to twenty, but win two one. Oh, hundred percent. I'm yeah. not coming away from that being like, oh, great, they're fine. You know, if Vegas comes now, in here, good, and is, good for Thatcher Demko. Yeah. Yeah, and and the Canucks power play. Yeah, you know um, what I want to see is a spine, like a, like um, like a a core of steel to a team that permits them to win when things go badly, that permits them to outwork consistently their opponents. Um, that's what I want to see. That's that's what that's what I think we need to see if this team is going to turn it around sufficiently to to be worth preserving. You know, to be worth mm. continuing to build around. 
And and make no mistake, like that's what the conversation has to be around this team. That's what the conversation has been for the last three weeks, and it's going to continue, particularly well, as they come up in a measuring stick week against you know the two best teams in the West three times, and then also San Jose. <laughs> yes. But you know what? That's a tough one too because the- it's a 22-hour turnaround. Yeah. It's a 22-hour turnaround. Like it's, it's not your, just your fourth game of the week. It's the second part of a back-to-back. All of that. It's a yeah. brutal oh, and fourth game of the week in a week that you spend time in Vegas. <laughs> you know, that's not easy. That's not an easy stretch. Like this, we're, we're going to know a lot more about the Canucks as a team and who they are a week today than we do right now. Uh, this text comes in. It was like last year when they had an easy week at home with the opportunity to make up ground near the trade deadline, and then they laid an egg. That certainly stands out to me. And, and you know, to your point about. The conversation is, can they justify kind of being kept together and justify management continuing to build around this group? You have to think that management is looking at this not just from a team-wide perspective, but kind of looking, okay, who are the individuals? Who are the individuals who can do what you're talking about, right? Totally. Who can show that that core, that strength, that willingness to compete, the willingness to do it night after night after night. It's not just about convincing them to keep the team together it's okay who are the guys who are the guys we trust uh to keep around and really lead the process whatever that process looks like in the future but that's what's happening here right now and man no no better week no better week to do it uh than when you get vegas twice and also the defending stanley cup champion colorado avalanche in between there as well final segment coming up 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line keep your thoughts coming in uh, last segment of the show canucks talk here on sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here with your final segment of the show on a Canucks game day. They'll take on the Vegas Golden Knights. 7.30 puck drop here at Rogers Arena. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I also want to tell you, Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Match Eatery and Public House for Sportsnet 650 Sunday at Cascades Casino in Delta. Join Bick, Randeep, and the Sportsnet 650 squad on Sunday, December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for all your marquee matchups. Match Eatery and Public House offers the social traditions of a neighborhood pub with the high energy of a sports bar. Stop by for your chance to win a smart speaker, grab some Sportsnet 650 swag. You can talk sports with Randeep and Bick. Plus, we'll have a pair of Canucks tickets and a pair of tickets to the Seahawks game on December 11th to give out Match Eatery and Public House uh, in Delta, located at the new Cascades Casino next to the Massey Tunnel. So make sure you check that out. Again, that is December 4th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. All right, game against the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights tonight, Drancer. Look, we all see the record. We all know how Jack Eichel is playing this year. Mark Stone uh, is, as always, fantastic. How do you see we, – we talk a lot about how different teams match up with the Canucks. Are they speed? Are they are they more of a, a size game? Whatever the case is, how do you see this matchup? Beyond just the fact that Vegas is really, really good, how do you see it <laughs> stacking up uh, for the Canucks against Vegas tonight? I mean, Vegas is not a burner team. You know, like they're not the type of burner team from uh, from the back end that I get worried about, right, from the perspective of – you know the Canucks getting the doors blown off them in a, in a track meet like like what the Devils like the way they looked yeah. against the Devils right and honestly the Kings were a team that I thought profiled like that 
Uh, I, th I still thought you could see it at times with how the Kings attack over 200 feet, but I, I thought the Canucks held up as well as I've seen them hold up against one of those teams uh, on Friday. Even though I thought the Kings outplayed them, I'll, I'll give the Canucks credit for that. They, they looked like they could hang. You know what I thought they were able to do? And this is something that we know Bruce Boudreaux prioritizes, is they were able to put pressure on the Canucks or on the Kings defenders in their own zone, I thought, right? And we mm. talk about Boudreaux likes to play that really high pressure, you know, pressure everywhere on the ice. I thought it wasn't so much what they were doing in the defensive end against LA, but it was they kind of prevented them forever from generating that speed from the back end, which is something we haven't really seen much at all uh, of the Canucks because they've looked really slow for a lot of the games. But I thought they, they had that element of speed and pressure uh, against LA, which was a big part of what you're talking about, not letting LA kind of generate that uh, that high speed attacking game that yeah. they can do. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a good point. So, you know, I think the I, I, Vegas ultimately has given the Canucks issues when they've played in the past, and and frankly, the Canucks have given the Vegas Golden Knights issues because yes. they're they're absolute contrasts, right? The Canucks lean on goaltending. The Kings, if you've heard of one of their goaltenders, you know you're a serious, serious hockey fan, right? Um, the Vancouver Canucks are happy to get outshot and, and convert opportunistically. The Vegas Golden Knights are not. The Vegas Golden Knights try and tilt the ice and manhandle, Mark Stone's words, their opponents, right? That's, that's Vegas Golden Knights hockey. So, you know, it's been an interesting contrast in, like, jujitsu styles, Right, this has been very much like Cobra Kai mm. against uh, uh, Miyagi Do in terms of uh, in terms of different different karates. <laughs> this is that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting again Vegas to control things five on five, and the Canucks are going to need to win at the margins, which just sort of underlines, you know, the narrow path that this team always has to sustain success. Uh, but you know, extra because. This Vegas Golden Knights team does it just about as well as anybody. And again, that doesn't mean anything in one game. No. We saw in the bubble, it, it cannot mean anything until the 55th minute of the seventh game. But ultimately, if you're controlling things at 5-on-5, five five, you're stacking the deck in your favor. If you are leaning on ephemeral things like goaltending and, and outrageous finishing talent and the power play, you're, you're competing. You're trying to win with an arm tied behind your back. I think we often think about Vegas, and the first thing we think about is the forward group. And look, they're top six now with Eichel playing with Stone and Chandler Stevenson, and then the Marcheseau Carlson Riley Smith line being reunited. Their top six is really, really good. I, you know, I think with uh, with Nick Waugh out, their bottom six, not that it's bad or anything like that, but it's not necessarily daunting. But the thing that really. No, there's still guys I like down there. Yeah, sure. But there could be guys you like, and it doesn't make it a strength of the team necessarily. No, but I mean, Colasar's good. Amadio is totally fine, and Howden is good. Like Howden is legitimately good. There you go. I'm not. I'm not trying to talk down about them. I'm just Man. look. I wanted to get to my point about the blue line, which I think is what really stands out to me. Again, obviously Jack Eichel and Mark Stone are uh, they're the headliners. There's a lot of like name recognition on the blue line. See, I think they're. I think Petrangelo is good again. <laughs> he's he's been good. I really like Shea Theodore. Shea I like Theodore's Zach Whitecloud. The left side doesn't excite me as much, but they're all like good. They're all fine. They're yeah. all dependable. Guys. I like Hag. You know I like what I mean? Hague yeah. A fair bit. And I think you know your third pair is Nick Hag and Zach Whitecloud. That's a really good third pair. That's a really nice third pair to have. So I it think it's nice deep. I think with Petrangelo regaining his form, Shea Theodore doing his thing, 
I don't see a lot of weaknesses on that blue line. And yeah, sure, some of it is name recognition, but I think that's a real that's a real strength of the team in a way we haven't necessarily thought of Vegas lining up and their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think that's past. fair. They, they've they've certainly added like a lot of skill on the back end to mm. their to their original form. Is that sort of like Lucas Spiza, you know, Nate Schmidt, like yeah. they had Schmidt and Theodore, but for the most part, it was um, you know bigger guys that didn't necessarily move the puck. They just sort of defended. And they've, they've become a more contemporary blue line in terms of how they play and how they attack. And Bruce Cassidy also has them playing a more skilled game, mm. right? They, they are more disciplined about working the puck into dangerous areas. They are passing up some of those shooting opportunities that they used to take all the time from bad angles and, and just focusing on overwhelming their opponents territorially. I think they're a little bit more nuanced in their approach to playing attacking hockey. That might make them a, that might make them a tougher matchup. That might sort of circumvent to some extent the karate stylings clash that I just outlined, right? Vegas has sort of in some ways um, started to play a little bit more east-west than they have in the past under their new coach. It's only a quarter of the way into the season. The early returns, though, pretty good. Well, and if that actually really shows up in the underlying numbers because if you look at just raw shot attempts, they're actually not that good. They're under 50%. The more you get into, you know, scoring chances and even high-danger chances – their numbers are really, really good, right? Sky so, which high. which speaks to what you're talking yep. about. No, with uh, with Pete DeBoer, and we, you know, we've heard this from Yannick Hansen on this station in the past. It's fired at the net, shoot from the point, shoot from the point, fired at the net. With Bruce Cassidy, they're prioritizing actually getting to dangerous areas, setting up those those east west plays that result in uh, in those legitimate scoring chances. So that's something to watch out for that might be a little different uh, from the Golden Knights uh, than we've seen in the past, and. You know, as it so happens, the Canucks have had some trouble with teams that can really move it around east-west <laughs> this season. We've seen a lot of those cross-seam Royal Road uh, passes against the Canucks for, for backdoor plays. We've seen this team both beat and struggle against every f- version of every <laughs> team, right? Like, the, you know, ultimately, ultimately, the Canucks just come out and can look like a different team in the first half than the second half, much less night to night, right? So it'll be curious to see, like, this is their chance to win three in a row, right? They have a chance to win three in a row. They haven't done it yet this season. You're going to need to stack, you know, runs like that on top of one another if you're going to get back into the playoff race. Considering the hole they've dug for themselves, you'd expect to see a big performance this evening from the Canucks. And I I do think it's going to be really disappointing if you don't. If they come out and and Vegas is able to control the game, not even for 60 full minutes, but like once once the chips are down, once the chips are down in the third period, if it looks like it did on that first opening, remember that opening five-game road trip where mm-hmm. the next would be, be like, be in every game or like have a lead, and then their opposition would just kind of gently mm-hmm. pat them on the head and tuck them into bed. Uh, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I like that it did. Channeling Johnny Cochran over here. Um, you know, if it looks like that, I think that's going to be galling for me. You know, I, I that'll speak volumes. I mean, I I do think we had a texture who was like, how many more times do we have to say yeah. we we'll know a lot well, more about well, I'll, the I'll read, read this, this text. It, it's from Donkey, and I, I do think it's a good text. He texts in, 650-650, when will we no longer need to see another week of Canuck hockey in order to learn what this team is? Don't we know already? What else is there to learn about this group? They may be a fringe playoff team. That's not going to cut it. Uh, and we all know this. That's from Donkey. Uh, that's right. That's a way. very fair we, point. We both agree with that's that. That's a very fair point. And that's w- one of the things I was saying is but I also it's like... also about the individual yeah. performances, right? Totally. To see who, who can kind of shine, not to change what you think of the team, but maybe change what you think of that player specifically at this point. It's also early enough that, you know, um, it's also early enough in the season that, like, if the Canucks aren't going to get busy getting bad enough to get into the Bedard lottery, they're still better making the playoffs. 
Yeah, it's still better for you to still make the playoffs. Better for all your asset va- like player values. Better to better to not be looking at this and being like, well, we can't even do that. Better to perhaps begin extension negotiations with Elias Pettersson in the off season, right? Like, there's there, a million. There's a lot of spillover benefits. Why it's better? Why it would be better to be at least like in it, at least in it. It's better to be in the playoffs than picking 13th or 14th. Yeah, you know what I mean. But well, sure. But I mean, in both cases, I, I mean, I think I think the organization's best chance logically is to be a little bit better for a little bit longer and then commit to a multi-year project to significantly redesign this team. All of that said, you know, I, I do think that in fairness to this group, uh, you know, I think you give it an, another couple of weeks. Like I'm still waiting 10 more games before I pronounce this team, you know, like I need 30 mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, I'm willing to be convinced that what we've seen is small sample noise or that they can meaningfully p- play better or that what we've seen over 17 or 18 games at this point isn't reflective of their true talent. Like for me, there is still margin for them to influence what I think of the team. I do still think we know who they are, though. And I do still think what they are is not good enough. The other thing is, and we talked about this a I'm little just bit. i ready to conclude it. In the first segment. <laughs> you know? Well, does that not make sense? I guess, I, guess the, I guess the question would be, what would have to happen over the remainder of the season to kind of shake your opinion that a rebuild is necessary? And, and to me, it's just it's a really, really high bar. To get there. And you never know. It could happen. Strange things happen in professional sports in the NHL all the time. But, yeah, to Donkey's point, it's not just one week. One week isn't going to do it. We're talking about the legitimate rest of the season if you're going to get into that conversation where, oh, my goodness, not just, you know, not just did they did they make a push at the playoffs, but I actually see something that's really worth building around. I don't think they should rebuild. I think they should what keep does building. That, what does it look like? like that, I... That's a uh, I, – I don't, I don't know. How I haven't even there. been – considering it what that would look like right because it's such a high bar that they would have to clear yeah and uh, it, for, i mean for me it's also it wouldn't be about wins and losses to be totally honest well with it. it would be about process which if the process was that good would also translate but over the rest of the season it, it, honestly honestly you'd also it would also require things like jack rathbone gets a chance seizes it and becomes mm. an everyday top four caliber defenseman right like Oliver Ekman Larson looks like he did last year for the latter 60 games of the season, right? Um, you know, JT Miller starts driving at five on five as a centerman. You know, like it would require a lot of individual performances that would fundamentally change. Uh, uh, Facility Pod Colson becomes a point per game guy. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that could change my mind. But I mean, the team itself, team performance, wins and losses are going to do nothing to change my mind. I think the other thing is, you know, while we, as we talk about, oh, this is a big week, we're going to learn a lot about the team. It's going to tell us a lot about the rest of their season. And again, we talked about this a bit in the first segment. <laughs> There's but- also the downside risk. If they, you know, win one of the next four, like that's going to be really, they, they don't have the margin. For that type of thing. So that's also partly what we're pricing into. But as much as we talk about, okay, this team should rebuild, this team should kind of reprioritize. Do we talk about that a lot? Pri- yes. Well, it's come up on occasion. <laughs> prioritize, you know, three, four seasons from now rather than this season and next. We also have the flip side of that conversation with Tyler Myers where it's not as if there's a bunch of deals. You know, we can all look at the players that – are on this roster and you think, you know what, there's, realistically there's probably no way this guy is part of the next really good Canucks team, so trade him. But as you as you go through those names, whether it's Tyler Myers, Tanner Pearson, Connor Garland, maybe you want to throw Brock Besser on that list as well, there's also very compelling reasons 
to wait on them, to hold, as you say, to, to see if their value gets better, to wait until Tyler Myers only has one year left on his deal and you've already paid out the signing bonus. So even if they do you know, lay another egg this week, even if they do really struggle, fall further out of the playoff races, it looks like a lost cause, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go into fire sale mode all of a sudden. You're still probably going to be playing with substantially this group for a lot of the rest of the season, and you'd just rather to, for, for, to benefit Everyone involved with the team to keep the uh, players' trade value as high as possible. All of that, you would just rather do it in a competitive environment. Because other than Bo Horvat, right, unless you get a slam dunk offer for Bo Horvat and you've decided, you know what, the cap situation is too difficult. We would have loved to sign him, but it's not going to happen. we got to trade him. That's the only guy I look at and think, you know, if things are really going sideways, maybe you get ahead of it and, and make that deal early. Everyone else you're probably holding on to until the summer, until the draft at least, right? And let, you never know what no, deal is going to come I, I out, mean, come, I mean, come around. If you're going to the other, I mean, if from the from an urgency standpoint, the other one that looms large in the event that you want to radically change direction is JT Miller sure. because he's got the NMC that kicks in at the end of you know on July first. Yeah, so that would be the other one. Well, that's I mean, if we're talking the captain of the team and the guy who scored 99 points last season, that's like not insignificant here. No, it's true. You know, like you you got to decide relatively quickly. And and one week should not be influencing those types of decisions. They might influence the tone with which we discuss the team on air, but it shouldn't be dis- uh, influencing those types of dis- decisions. But again, it becomes easier. Those are decisions the team needs to make. It becomes now. easier to do those moves if the team is playing well and those individual players are playing well, right? Well, unless it becomes it, a lot easier. I think it, it might get harder to sell internally. Harder to sell internally, but easier. Let's like for the purposes of this discussion. We're saying that they, if they make that decision, it becomes a lot easier to do. Yeah, it's a when lot you're talking to, to the rest execute. of the teams. But, but also, if it, if it gets to a point where it's easy to do, you're not going to make it. You're just going to passively sort of let it happen. You know, and that and that's oftentimes what teams do when they're in a real rut, like the Canucks are. You play through it. You just play through it, and you see where the chips fall. I just don't think that's going to get it done for the Canucks. I ju- I just think what this team has found itself in the circumstances that we're sort of watching unfold slowly uh you know i think they call for bolder more dramatic action than that and that's sort of been the thesis of our two months of analysis to this point in the season um that continues and and from that thesis that thesis is going to take a lot to disabuse me of anyway uh this texture says don't forget kuzmenko in terms of guys you might have to make a decision on as well but that one doesn't that yeah, one doesn't, no, that's he, right but it's not as it's not as urgent or monumental as Horvat or Miller just because of his centrality and importance to the team isn't as urgent uh, sure. as, or isn't as important as either of those guys, but it's but still I mean, a UFA what, and you have to make a decision on it. seven goals already? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's on pace to be a 25-goal scorer? Partnering really well with Elias Patterson, yeah, right? I mean, and, and fans enjoy him, right? Like, he's got to be one of the guys with the high Q ratings in this market at this point. I mean, that's not a small decision. He's also, because he's on an ELC... Right, like that's a free ad for a team to get a guy who's looked exceptional at the net front on the power play, and looked like he's capable of holding down and being productive, and actually driving some things through the neutral zone too at five on five. Like that's a huge asset coming back, or a big contract you're going to have to commit to. I, I think that's a worthwhile inclusion. 
650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So the question of what would this team have to uh, do to convince you that a rebuild is not necessary, uh, Justin on Texada Island says, easy, go on a run and win the cup. <laughs> so there you go. Justin setting a very, very high bar uh, for what he needs to see yeah, from ban- this team. And, and banners fly forever. You know, one thing One thing that I sometimes get from fans is, like, they're, they're like, Durant's could, the, the Canucks could win the Stanley Cup, and Durant would be saying they did it the wrong way. There is no wrong way there's to win the Stanley no, Cup. There's absolutely no wrong way to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> you win the Stanley Cup, you have won. Like, like there's no one that can say anything. Ever. Yeah, there's, there's, there are no the, asterisks. There are no, like, oh, well, they they made they screwed up on this trade. It's like, no, you didn't because you won the Stanley Cup. Well, and, and <laughs> I mean, the reason that I talk about the team the way that I do is completely motivated by who wins Stanley Cups. It's not anybody. Like, it's really not anybody. You look through the the history of Stanley Cup winners or recent Stanley Cup winners. I mean, you see the Tampa Bay Lightning. You see the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, we don't even need to go through it, right? The the Lightning had a five-year rebuilding stretch before Iserman came on, and then they missed the playoffs two more years. They, they tended after Stamkos and Hedman to not nail their first-round picks, but they nailed everything else. The Colorado Avalanche are built around a bunch of guys drafted in the top ten. Right, Miko Rantanen's like the lowest mm. drafted guy. Wasn't their blue line all first rounders last year? Like it was all first rounders. Uh, Josh Manson, Eric Johnson, like they were all first round guys. You know, go back further. Like the St. Louis Blues rebuilt so aggressively, 06 to 2010. Uh, all you can do, all you can do is be bad cyclically for a small period of time, right? Mine a ton of talent from that. And then come back up and build a durable contender, a team with a long window, like 10, 12 years. Because as the Tampa Bay Lightning showed, like you can make the Stanley Cup final, or sorry, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final in 2011, right? Miss the playoffs for a couple years. Back in the Stanley Cup Final Mm -hmm. in 2015. Eastern Conference Final, they made Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final the year that the Washington Capitals won. Uh, they were there with the Boston Bruins again before the Chicago Blackhawks won their third. Um, you know, it took them a ton of failure, a ton of close calls, a Stanley Cup final disappointment before they finally broke through and won two of three. Right. Like at the end of the day, they've also only won two of four over the course of 15 years in which they've been the class of the league. You know, the San Jose Sharks had a 10 year run. Ten-year run with the best record. The Washington in Capitals took them forever to break took through. Took them forever. With Alex one of the one of the best players of all time. Well, and look at the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup probably at the first year of their contention window, mm. and then their that contention window extended for twelve years, and they haven't got it done again. You know, like it's. I mean, I know that's painful back, to even bring but up. They haven't got. They haven't got it done again. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, very rarely does a team like the Blackhawks win on their first try. It takes a long runway, and I like I don't know how else to do it. I don't know that there's a team that you can point to that did it any other way. You know, at least not in the last 15 years. Like probably not since the maybe the Hurricanes in 06. But that was the first year of the cap era. That was the first year. Yeah, Johnny Mac texted about St. Louis. No, St. Louis. They were really good before the start of that season, though. That's the difference. Oh, yes, you know stop what I mean? it. No, they, 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 they struggled to start that season, but they were a... Could- they, they were a top five team by point percentage in the NHL for over over a five-year stretch that culminated with them winning the Stanley Cup. But they had two bad months, 
so they're supposed to butt. Yeah. They were a top five team. And to be fair, Johnny Mac is asking. He's not like saying you're an idiot for no, I know. mentioning the Blues. And, He's just asking. And the St. Louis Blues rebuilt extraordinarily aggressively. Uh, like the Doug Waite trade that made the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes, the, the, the that was part of it. That was part of them selling off everything, including Keith Kachuk every year and then re-signing him again. <laughs> they <laughs> Legitimately, right? Like that's how they operated. They were a huge seller. They were constantly at the top of the draft. And there's a ton of guys who they took in the first round, um, you know, over the, over the like Schwartz, Tarasenko, Perron, Alex Petrangelo. Petrangelo, that whole crew was drafted first rounders. Um, Eric Johnson was the first overall pick, like taken ahead of Taves. Maybe they get there sooner <laughs> if they don't blow that one. So, but point is, I don't know if when when I analyze the game, when I analyze hockey, when I look at what makes a Stanley Cup winner, I don't know any other way to go about it. Like I can't think of a team that's taken a path like this, that's taken a path like this to get to a Stanley Cup. Well, that's the thing because I understand the idea of, you know giving a team as many kicks at the can as possible. Like, But I, I look at the Washington Capitals, who were consistently in the playoffs, consistently really good. There were calls to break, you know, oh, you got to trade Ovechkin. Blow up. The, this, this team's never going to get over the hump. Break them up. you got to rebuild there. That didn't make any sense because you're at least – you're in the discussion. You know what I mean? You're on the doorstep. You're getting close. You're, you have what you can envision doing it. That When you have that team, yes, give them as many kicks as, you, as the can as you can. Extend the window as long as possible. The Canucks, they're not, they're not a consistent playoff team. So I don't see how you can look at it and say, well, you just need to give them as many opportunities as possible. You have to find the team that you can say that about. Oh, yeah, so yeah. You have to build the team that you can say that Well, and, and maybe about. And maybe they could have had a couple of pieces who could have been part of that team, but they tried to accelerate too quickly, and they just don't have that those building blocks now. It is what it is. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Again, it is the Canucks versus the Vegas Golden Knights live from Rogers Arena at 7.30 tonight. Full game day coverage here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game coverage starting at 6.30 with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Batch and Randeep have the call at 7.30. Uh, and then your post-game coverage will be with Sat and Bick right after the game. We will be back tomorrow to break it all down. Uh, the PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is up next. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.